This is the Game Changers podcast where your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And predominant educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. Well, the Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of the 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't want or wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are going to be their stories. Stephanie McConnell is our first game changer in our podcast series. She and the team at the Linfield Learning Village are doing some amazing stuff, reconceiving and reimagining what a secondary education in New South Wales and in Australia might look like from the ground up. What's it like to learn and to teach in a learning village? Let's find out. Phil? It's great to be here again. It's wonderful to be here, Adriana. Uh, And I'm really excited about the fact that today we are with Stephanie McConnell, who is the principal of the Linfield Learning Village in Sydney, this dynamic new learning proposition. In my hometown. In your hometown. Wow, very exciting. So ordinarily, Steph, I would uh, launch into a bit of a bio about the person we're talking to, but I thought it might be really nice for you to share a little bit of your story before we get into some questions that really focus around the purpose of schooling, you know, for, t- for today's world. So perhaps you want to share a little bit about your story and, uh, and how you've got to where you are today. I, I think um, my journey has been a really interesting one. And I think probably the thread that runs through it is probably, if, if I were honest, a thread of frustration. Um, and, and that is around the system um, of education that we currently have in this state and beyond. And um, I guess my experience in it, where, whereby I feel that it's, it's no longer meeting the needs of our young people today. So I started in uh, a school in southwestern Sydney, um, Marylands High School, and from there I moved on to the north shore of Sydney and, and then um, through Taramara High School as, as principal. Um, and in that time, I guess I've had the opportunity to work with some extraordinary leaders and to have been exposed to some incredible opportunities which have led me to the thinking that I think has really driven a lot of what Linfield Learning Village has become Um, and and largely around the opportunity I had to be part of the steering committee for this school working with Professor Stephen Heppel um, and a number of other educators in building our educational model and then seeing it through to to uh, implementation and um, our first year here last year was was quite a baptism of fire um, but that in itself has really shaped me as a learner um, and the and strengthened I think the vision that I have for this school and how I really believe um, the system of education needs to, to change um, and hopefully we might be a flagship in that in that movement in that educational revolution. So over 28 years of experience in the education space and during that particular period of time, what I'm hearing you say is that born out of your frustrations and the struggle of a 19th century model, one that simply no longer met the needs uh, of the young people for today, came this kind of movement towards the Linfield Learning Village, which has a clear focus on, on young people today around being agile, flexible and adaptable learners. Can you talk a little bit about then 
what you believe is now the purpose of schooling for today's new world environment? Mm. That's a really interesting question because um, I guess my, my belief is that the purpose of schooling is to equip young people with the mindset that they need to thrive in, in the world beyond school. And, um, and, and by that, you know, I, in none of that have I mentioned numbers or exams or ATARs or, or anything like that because I don't believe that's what schools are about. Um, it schools, in fact, just the word school in, in many ways is something that I've asked staff here to question, to unlearn a lot about what we, school, what we think school is and to think more about learning um, and, and education because really the, the purpose of what we're doing needs to, to be more, more um, accommodating of, of contexts of young people today, not least of all the worldwide epidemic around student depression and anxiety and what, what we need to do to address that. So, Stephanie, it's, it's, um, it's refreshing to hear someone talking about learning and unlearning. It's, it's very exciting to hear someone talking about uh, equipping uh, uh, children to thrive as, as, as young adults and, and as, then as older adults in the world today. Um, that fits in entirely with, that, with, this, with the sort of research that we've been doing. Which is um, it's always it's, it's always good to hear someone coming across. I'm really interested in the notion of a village. Why a village, and how does the concept of a village add to our understanding of education? Look, initially, when when we first um, uh, created the the name as a working title, um, I would have said that it was um, probably a little bit too. Um, I've used the phrase a bit too nimble for Lingfield in the past, but it, but what I mean by that is that it it's something that um, that implies too much difference for for people to really latch on to. However, um, to give you a bit of background on where the name came from, originally um, I was was fortunate enough to meet um, David Taylor, who was the original architect of the building um, that Lingfield Learning Village is um, is being repurposed for. Um, and David, and this is an amazing heritage listed brutalist architecture building um, designed by David Taylor to, um, on the model of an Italian village. So he, we've got a, a very large open streetscape um, internal sort of passageway that he imagined people sitting along the side of watching the world go by. Um, and then alongside that is the principle of that it takes a village to raise a child. And so um, bringing those two ideas together, um, you know, Linfield Learning Village emerged out of that. And then um, I think since we, we started last year, that has actually become the embodiment of what our school is. And it's how it's, it's the shaped language that we use. It's shaped our sense of belonging and community, I think quite significantly. Um, and, and, you know, not least of all our parents and the connection with the wider community and the way that they, they see us, um, I, I think has really been um, a, great, a great evolution of that, the title of the school or the name of the school. And, and that of itself is, is, is perhaps symptomatic of the, 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 the process um, that you've used. Uh, and one of our other guests on, on, on Game Changers, Dr Henry Masoma, who comes from Zambia originally now, 
lives and works in Texas as a, as a, as a professor there would also talk about villages and raising your children in villages in, in quite interesting ways. I'm really interested in the process of design. How did it all work? You talked about evolution. Uh, you talked about drawing on experts uh, around it. You talked about you know being born of frustration to a certain extent. How did the design process work? Well, yes, indeed. It was exactly human-centred design and we do use the, the design process here for a lot of the work that we do in, in meeting the challenges of, um, of shifting an entire um, way of thinking around school. So we, we used um, design thinking with Heppel and others um, back in, in the early days of the development of the model. Um, community consultation was a critical part of that around a number of different models which were around entrepreneurial thinking influenced by the work of Zhang Zhao and others, um, the, the global kind of connectedness idea um, and, and a sense of community and we, were, we sort of put that to the community and said what do you want this school to be and they said all of the above. So uh, you know in the end it, it sort of shaped um, those key pillars that I was talking about, which were um, are around all through learning, so very much that connection of older and younger children working and learning together, um, the the concept of um, the the student centred design that um, is all all around the individual learning pathway for for each student and what that means and what that looks like and how we actually manage to achieve that because I think ultimately that's the holy grail. Um, then there is the whole concept of the community connection, learning together, um, learning with the community, learning from the community and the community learning from us. And by that, I, I mean um, our parent community, but also our, our local community, the connections that we have with local business and universities, but also our global, global community, which is a really significant part of, of the learning um, that, that we're, we're working towards here. So, um, I wanna, so Stephanie, I want to just jump in there for a moment. Yeah. So I want to explore this a little bit further around this kind of new learning ecosystem that you're describing. So just um, humor me for a second as I as I work through um, so a quote here from uh, Lord Kenneth Baker. So last year, the Independent Magazine published an article in in February from Lord Kenneth Baker. And, and for those who are unfamiliar with Lord uh, Baker, he's the chair of the Edge Foundation and was Secretary of State for Education between. 1986 and 1989 in England. And during the late 1980s, he was the actual person responsible for introducing England's national curriculum and their GCSE exams, which are pretty much equivalent to the VC end of year exam scenario. And so what Lord Baker then has now recognised that because the world has changed so dramatically, education now needs a total reset. And this is a quote from him, and I'll be interested in, in your comments. We absolutely need to move a curriculum that is knowledge rich to one that is knowledge engaged and not learning facts for the, their own sake, but understanding how to put them to use to build and communicate a rich argument or solve a problem. So I suppose my question to you then is this around this learning ecosystem that you just described. How is Linfield ensuring that the young people uh, in, in the village have the relevant capability skills, the relevant foundational knowledge and the necessary character attributes to successfully thrive in this next stage of the 21st century? Absolutely. That's been central to our work in, in our first year of operation because 
um, for us, you know, when, when we looked at all of the pillars of our model, the individual learning pathway was the, the, the logical and only starting point that we had to work from. So we had to ask that question of, you know, what, what are the characteristics that we want young people to have? And all of that, of course, is influenced by um, research around um, what, what uh, employers are looking for in the workplace, the sort of characteristics and key competencies that we know are important in the Australian curriculum. But more so, I, I think, um, you know, we, we looked at a number of different models, Guy Claxton and uh, Bill Lucas, as well as Miranda Jefferson and Michael Anderson's model around, you know, learning characteristics, learning dispositions. But more importantly than that was our work in building rubrics that measured student learning in those areas and designing learning that explicitly teach students those, those skills and they're, they're not soft skills at all. And, um, it, and that is our priority over the teaching of content. So the next logical step from, from that in our development has been the, the journey towards and the, the horizon goal I'm describing in this space is, is transdisciplinary learning, but we're not there yet. We, um, we're sort of working towards that, but we're currently, I think, at an interdisciplinary level. So it's bringing together um, that knowledge transfer built on learning characteristics that we've kind of shaped and evolved contextually here and then assessing what we value in that space by by developing assessment programs for, for that kind of learning what are we what what would you say to those individuals particularly in education that think the move towards personalized learning and student-centered learning is flawed uh, from the sense that how can students come up with their own compelling questions and create authentic products if they don't know enough about the topic to ask or create something that's rich and meaningful? What would you say to those kind of naysayers? I would say that, um, that it's, it's, it's not a matter of setting children free to learn on their own. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. And so that kind of um, question or attitude, I think, comes from uh, possibly a lack of, um, can I say, understanding of the complexity that sits behind a complete redesign of, of the learning model and, and pedagogical modes that allow students to be empowered to engage in their own learning. It's not about letting them, um, letting yeah. them and working it out themselves at all. It's about building the right framework and structures and support to be able to uh, to push them towards the, the right questions and then to support with, with you know, the, the right type of feedback and teaching them how to take and give critical feedback is, is of course, part of this journey. Um, so it's not, it's not that simple. Stephanie, um, you, you mentioned um, just a couple of minutes ago that you went through a process with your team uh, there, um, and I'm assuming that that includes the teaching staff, um, they're around measurement rubrics and particularly looking at how you measure learning dispositions and character attributes and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, John Hattie says that the most significant mindset of a teacher is to acknowledge that I am an evaluator of the impact of my own work. That's the, if you like, you, you, you know, we would know that that's the, the, probably the seminal piece of research on it. Our research internationally suggests that 72% of teachers really want to know how to measure stuff, but don't know how to do it and feel nervous and trepidatious around it. Mm. That, how do you, in your leadership, how have you helped teachers to overcome that nervousness, that 
fear of the unknown and the consequences it might bring. Uh, in particularly in measurement. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 focus on measurement, but we can talk about other areas as well. Sure, uh, because I think that is the real um, the real step that we're taking into this this brave new world of of thinking differently and and the impact of that on teachers and, and the requirement that that brings to to think very very differently to what the teacher default position might be, but particularly in that area of measurement and assessment, we have done a number of things. First of all, our professional learning model is that teachers are researchers of their own practice. And so we have been supported by um, Macquarie University, which is a, quite close to us in, in equipping teachers with the skills around researching their own practice, around collecting data and understanding and analysing that in order to inform their practice. And we are still working on that model um, and working more closely with Macquarie this year to develop it further. But alongside that, um, we have, I guess the challenge in this space is finding the right platform to collect and, and um, uh, I mean, we collect a lot of data rather, it's more about how uh, we, we helped te help teachers to harvest and use that data at the, the, the point of need in a really effective and efficient way because um, that's, that's another challenge. But we have um, we've, we've hacked systems, really, to be perfectly honest with you. There is no one system that does what we want to do. So we're hacking systems. We're bringing in um, a, a program that oh, it's called Octopus, but it pulls data from all of our other um, our platforms to be able to, and when we're, we're telling Octopus we want this dashboard to look like this so that it measures learning um, characteristics and capabilities and interdisciplinary unit outcomes rather than the traditional ways that, that systems that we're familiar with in particularly department systems that are available uh, are just not measuring what, what we want to measure. Even, you know, in the world of tell them from me, I, I did it last year, but I'm not doing it this year because it's skewed towards a traditional learning environment and therefore the results for our students don't reflect accurately um, the sorts of things that you would normally expect um, from, a, from a Tell Them From Me survey around, you know, that sense of belonging. We don't have homework here, for example, in the same way as you might at another school. So the, all the questions on homework, um, they can't answer in a way that, um, that, that sort of... Uh, aligns with with other schools thinking on that. So, Steph, I'm interested to know, and, and and probably our listeners are as well. What would a day for a student look like at mm. the Linfield Learning Village, and what would the day of a of a of a teacher or a learning designer look like at the Linfield Learning Village? Okay, so the experience of the student is um, is that you know for all the way through from kindergarten. So we've got students from kindergarten to year to year eleven this year. Um, and there are, there are slightly different stages in that, that journey, but the learning experience itself will very much look like you would enter into your um, shared learning space. All of our learning spaces are designed for stage-based learning. So um, there are at least two age or year group cohorts in the ones. So can we, just, can we just unpack that a little bit? So what, what you're saying is that um, the traditional year level structure doesn't exist at Linfield Learning Village and it is a focus more on stages of learning. That's correct, yes. Um, uh, they, the, the learning space itself has um, a whole lot of flexible furniture designed um, loosely around uh, David Thornburg's um, 
Cave Campfire Waterhole type spaces. Oh, yeah. um, so students learn rituals and routines to be able to work within that space, which is a really critical part of the work that we've done. And it's, it's also pertinent to that previous question around supporting students to be independent learners. But um, they, would, they would start their day in um, possibly in the secondary setting, say stage four, year seven and eight, would go into an interdisciplinary unit um, setting where they would have four different teachers from four different disciplines teaching them four different subjects in one um, thematic unit that's connected. The way that we are building the depth as well as the breadth into our IDE program is by having um, certain parts of their, their allocated time throughout their week in what we would call signature pedagogy. So um, it's, it's kind of based on, on some some of the work coming out of UNSW around motivation engagement of students and getting that balance right between, um, I guess, direct instruction and independent learning and, and finding the right place along that continuum to, to really reach that that um, you know optimal development kind of um, piece. So, so again, for our listeners, Stephanie, the, uh, the Linfield Learning Village is using uh, direct instruction as part of elements of its learning paradigm, as well as other models or frameworks to allow kind of the more real application and transferability of learning. Yeah, look, I would be really cautious about how we use the terminology around direct instruction, because I think there are a lot of different uh, interpretations of what we actually mean by that. Um, it's certainly not one teacher standing up and, and delivering to, to 30 students from the front of the room. Um, but it is that, that point of input of learning. So for us, in terms of the development of our pedagogical modes, that may be what we call a masterclass or a pop-up lesson. So a masterclass is, is obviously that input opportunity. It's brief. It's uh, there's sort of time limits around how long any person can speak in that setting, um, but it's, it's based on an identified need or the next step forward for the students in their, their learning progression. A pop-up is a, a pedagogical uh, is a pedagogical mode responding to the needs of the students at the time. Um, anybody can conduct a pop up, so another student who has mastered the concept can can offer a pop up class uh, to students in situ. We have um, quite long lesson. We have three sessions a day, so students are embedded in quite a long um, period of time for for embedding their learning experience. And they move through and around the space as they as they need to. That's again another part of our challenge, as I said, is finding the right platform. So we use um, Canvas as an online learning platform, which allows students to learn at any place, in any time, on any device. So, um, in terms of that, you know, what it looks like on a daily basis, you might see students on the floor, on the windowsill, on stools, on chairs, on all sorts of different soft furnishings throughout the space, moving around as they need to. Um, and you know, for some people, that's quite disconcerting because it's not 30 chairs and desks facing the front but um, we find that students actually quite enjoy doing that. Stephanie um, I'm hearing lots and lots of really interesting exciting things that you're talking about there also heard you mention earlier that you felt as though the first year was a, a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, are you having fun at the moment with what you're doing and how is that I, I'm, I'm going to guess the answer is that there's really is an element of fun going on if that's the case how is that element of fun, of excitement, helping you to overcome something you also referred to a little bit earlier, which is teacher default position? Mm. I think look, that's a really interesting question because I've been saying to people recently and just to a, a group that I toured 
half an hour ago before I was speaking to you, um, that I'm at a, a place now after our first in, initial year um, of being able to say that I am really enjoying this extraordinary opportunity of a lifetime to do what I'm doing here and to shape the future of education and to, to be given permission to, given permission, given permission to ask for forgiveness and not permission. Um, but, it, but that's really what it is. It, it's actually um, that license to shake up the box tickers and to, to really question why, you know, to, to shed a lot of the things that we think have to happen at schools for, you know, we, our students call us by our first name. So I took a tour group through the other day and they heard a kindergarten kid say, hi, Stephanie, and they nearly fell off their perch. So, you know, it's those sorts of assumptions that we bring that, that we think schools have to have, you know, uniforms, bells, detentions, homework, merit certificates, stickers. We don't have any of those things. We don't have school assemblies. We don't, you know, we've been given this opportunity to shed and that's fun. You know, it leaves us with, with what, you know, a lot of people when they come to visit, and this is edu-tourism central, um, you know, they talk about the vibe. It sounds like the castle, but they do. They come in and they say just this sense of, of fun and, and, and kids who are quite comfortable speaking to them as adults and talking about their learning experience. And, and um, you know, the, the group I had through today just said, it's just fun. You know, we've got a piano, a grand piano that we inherited from, from the university when they moved out and we just have it in the foyer and kids can step up and play as they want to. And she, you know, this lady was looking at the, the children all, gathered around the piano playing, not particularly musically, but, you know, it was the fun element that she really noticed. Stephanie, thank you. It's, 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 it's making me want to go back and teach history again. Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure that even history would probably exist in your space. It'll be, it'll be a fun and exciting transdisciplinary sort of thing. Um, you mentioned box tickers. In almost every school system, the box tickers win. What happened? And, and, and I'm sure that there are listeners out uh, of ours out there right now who are sitting there thinking it's all well and good, but they're going to get me. So what, what's the advice to the people out there who are thinking about the, the challenges of addressing the inadequacies um, which are well cherished by box tickers? Yeah, look, I, I think my advice would be we've got to be brave in this space. Quite often the box tickers are often, but not always, not educators. Um, and so the real context of, of life in schools and the real reasons, the, the things that we do on a daily basis, the lives that we change and the, um, the children that we work with, I think ultimately um, give us that that sense of we, we have to we have to take on that challenge and be brave. Um, interestingly, I've had um, a number of staff come to me from non-government school system um, settings. And they're they're noticing about um, the experience here is that there is um, in in large bureaucratic systems like the New South Wales Department of Education, unfortunately, um, there is this real sense of fear amongst staff that it is very fear driven and that that fear is perhaps not real. So I think sometimes we've got to really test the boundaries to see whether the, whether there is somebody there who is actually going to come down on you if, if you do something differently or if you, you shake the cage a little bit. And, and I think from my experience, there is more of an openness to that, that way of thinking. And I think we are, as Pazi Salberg says, on the verge of an educational revolution that 
um, that will encourage the box tickers to think differently. And I've been encouraged by um, a lot of visitors from um, from different levels of, of, of the, the department and, and different di different aspects uh, of the school's infrastructure, for example, who are seeking information about how they need to do things differently to better accommodate what we're trying to achieve here. You know, Stephanie, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm really excited about what I'm hearing that is being created in this uh, learning village. I'm hearing that the values proposition is pretty sound. Because if, if people who are coming to your school as, as visitors and they are encountering a, a learning community that is vibrant, that is alive, where young people are in, enjoying the experience to the point that they are engaged and are contributing to co-producing the, the village, uh, that's really exciting. And there's no doubt there's so much about what you're sharing with, with us that speaks to me about the fact that emotional competency is our new knowledge base. And it's at the, at the center of where we need to be moving towards. So you've been eloquent in sharing all these wonderful positive things that have been going on in that space. And you've also shared with us some of the challenges and frustrations. But can you maybe share with our listeners, what's the one thing right now that's not working that really needs to kind of still shift for this to be a, a total kind of renaissance in schooling and a move towards a learning ecosystem for tomorrow? What's not working? Uh, I, I would say we, we always talk to, to students here and I constantly speak to staff about embracing our failures and really understanding that that is a, a critical part of our journey. Um, so I guess on a, on a number of levels, we have been through so many iterations of prototypes and learnt from them um, and, and continue. We're nowhere near the end of our journey. So in terms of what's not working right now, there's, we're, we're, we're kind of, um, I guess, beating our head up against a brick wall in the space of um, getting the right analytics around the work that we're doing and, and we've got a lot of things in place but like I said we're, we're having to hack systems because it doesn't exist right now and my frustration in that space is that you know I can get a call you know at a moment's notice, notice from my director and some person somewhere up the chain wants to know how I can prove that what we are doing is working and you know pushing my finger on a button that spits out a, a series of of analytics that somebody's going to respect, um, which means usually um, quantitative because they're not really interested in the anecdotal or the qualitative data that I can produce quite quickly, um, is my biggest frustration. I don't think it's, it's a point of failure, but I think it's where we are really trying to reinvent a whole new way of operating in that space. And for me, that that's where it becomes really critical because if we continue as a global community to use traditional testing systems that are designed for an outdated mode of, of education, then we're just going to keep pushing the barrel around in circles again. And so unless we change the analytics around what we're doing and think differently about what that needs to look like, you know, then, then we're not going to move forward. So I don't think I've really answered your question very well. No, that's fine. You know, Stephanie, what, what, what I really love about, uh, what you are doing there and the entire community is doing around the Learning Village concept is that they're understanding that uh, learning is a, this, this powerful dynamic social exchange. 
and that really uh, there's no longer standardized minds because every single person in your care is home to a life that's very individual and unique and that's different. And, uh, and I love the fact that as a learning village, you're taking responsibility to expose each of those individual students to new experiences and possibilities for them to discover their own possibility. And of course, that of, of the people around them. Uh, we have really enjoyed this conversation today and I'm really appreciative of your time. I think Phil has one more question he wants to jump in with yeah, before absolutely. we do wrap it up. Absolutely, Stephanie. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in what's the next challenge for you. As a leader, as a leader, I think. As a leader beyond this school or, or actually in field? Oh, that's up to you to answer it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think my next challenge as a leader here is to, is to understand how we scale and maintain the integrity of what we have created so far as, as we build, continue to build this school on this site, which would mean moving from... Uh, currently 375 students to 2,000 students in a very short period of time. But also beyond that, how we scale so that we we do actually succeed in that challenge of being the flagship for education, you know, not only in New South Wales but beyond, to be part of that global conversation around changing education systems to better meet the needs of young people. So it's the scalable question. How do we scale from here but not lose the integrity and, and the value of what we've built um, through through the size challenge? And that's, that's a really interesting challenge because when you're talking about going from 370 to 2,000, you're actually talking about going from a village to a town. And, yes. and, and, and all of the pieces that, all of the pieces that, that, that come with that, there's, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a really interesting challenge that people all, all over the world face, I think. Um, how do you think, I'm, I'm, I'm asking one last supplementary if I can, Adriana, how do you think um, your, your community is going to be able to go at preserving the intimacy that a group of 370 students have when you get up to that sort of size? That's part of the fundamental, um, you know, constraints, if you like, within our design process is, um, is how, is fundamentally the heart of this model is around student wellbeing. And so as we design, we design with that mindset of what does this look like at 2000? So we ask that question a lot. That's, that's kind of our, our provocative question, if you like, as part of the process. Um, and, and because the model itself, you know, another key pillar I haven't mentioned is the home base aspect. So our home base is a group of 350 students. It's a school within school model. Um, and and the, the concept that every student has a learning guide who is a, a teacher. Um, and that is their trusted adult at school. So that we build these processes in from this point so that at scale, we, we don't lose that, you know, we don't, lose that connection we don't lose that value of, of understanding that the student is at the heart of all of this and then we're taking our community on that journey with us so you know our our parent body are, are very very willing and open to to learning themselves and have put themselves out there and been very brave with us um, and we, we give them experiences of learning that are, are the same as what their children are getting um, to help them to understand that it's different to the experience that they had at school. So um, they're a really valuable part of, of that, that process for us as well. Um, yeah. Stephanie, um, it's been a real 
um, privilege talking to you today. It's lovely to hear you end up talking about relationship, really, at, at, at the heart of your community. We're going, to keep, uh, we're going to keep an eager eye on the progress of Linfield Learning Village, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for your time with us today. Before you do depart, if people out there who are really keen and interested to learn more about uh, this brand new learning ecosystem, one that, that really is built on a great narrative around encounter and exchange uh, from a very human level, where could they get in contact with you? Um, yep, sure. They can, they can certainly email me at the school. I, um, as I said, I'm very open to um, having visitors come through and look, I think that's part of a really important part of our learning. Yes. Um, the feedback that we get is really important from those experiences. Um, it's obviously just a matter of, um, you know, having to manage the, the interest um, in a way that's manageable for me to also run a school. But please, please feel, feel free to email me. Terrific. And we'll make sure that your email uh, details are in the notes to this podcast episode. It's stephanie.mcconnell at det.nsw.edu.au. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. Uh, good luck as a game changer. Thank you. Much appreciated. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Samuel Wiseman from Audible Productions. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe.